praise you this morning. Lord, you are the King of Kings. You are incredible, Father. I just thank you for your presence this morning, Lord, and I would pray that you would speak to us today, Father. Because nothing we do here, Lord, has any point to it unless you show up, Father. so good father we praise you we worship you lord why don't you grab a seat church man god is good god is good a huge welcome to all of our visitors in the room this morning hello to you my name is pastor brad it is great to have you here this morning hey something we're uh, something we're doing this morning is um we've got group signups today is our group sign-up day haven't heard of a connect group. A connect group is such a lifeblood of this church. It's groups that meet all week long. We connect during the week with our friends and hang out and discuss the things of God. So we've got a QR code that we're going to throw up very soon. But before we do that, oh, it's up. Never mind. There's a QR code. You can scan that with your phone and sign up. Um, we have some incredible groups. I lead a couple. I lead the, the music team on a Wednesday night. And uh, we're about to kick off an alpha group. Alpha is phenomenal. I really solely believe that everyone should do Alpha at some point in your walk. It is a phenomenal experience. And we've actually got a little promo video for Alpha this morning that we're going to play in just a sec. Alpha is a phenomenal course because it's, it's something that helps you answer life's questions to why Jesus. It gives you the basis and the understanding behind why we believe what we believe. So this is a course that we're going to start running on Sundays after church. About 11.30, we're going to kick off. It runs for about an hour. So if this is something you'd like to sign up to, then you can sign up on the same Connect Group QR code link. But let's check out the video for Alpha. Every day we ask so many questions. What should I wear? What's the weather going to be like? How am I going to fit everything in? But then there are those bigger questions. Like, why am I here? Where am I heading? Is there more to life than this? I had arrived at an answer to the most important issue that we humans ever deal with. Is there a God? And I had arrived there without ever really looking at the evidence. And I was supposed to be a scientist. At 28, uh, I had gotten many of the things that I thought I wanted. My girlfriend was on the cover of magazines, I had a Beamer, and I was so unhappy. It was a realization maybe that I would, I would never find happiness where I was looking for it. I think for so many years, you know, I always just strived to be strong in myself. All I needed was me and my buddies and, you know, would be like invincible, but the truth is none of us are. I found purpose, I found meaning, I found hope. God took something so broken 
and made it a beautiful art piece. Alpha is a place where you can be yourself. You can say what you think and challenge everything. No, no question is too complex or too simple. And what your point of view is, is as important as anyone else's. We are going on a journey together, an adventure to explore the questions of life, faith, and meaning. Alpha is amazing. This is such an incredible course. Make sure you sign up for it. If it's something that interests you, particularly if you're someone who's maybe new to church, this is an awesome course to check out. We're hoping to run this kind of all year round. It is about a 10-week course, so we're going to try and run it in each school term. Um, so yeah, it's going to be amazing. Check it out. Can we have that QR code again, please, Michael? That uh, Connect sign up. So if you'd like to sign up to a Connect group, you can scan that. That takes you straight to our website, straight on there. You can see the list of all the Connect groups that are running right now, and you can sign up straight on there. So grab it. Even if you just grab a photo of it for now, do it. Check it out. It's going to be a really incredible connection. So hey, over the past three weeks, we've been in a series called Life Between Chaos. Who's been enjoying this series? Who's been here for, for some of it, all of it, a few people? Yep, that's awesome. So it's been an incredible series, and it's kind of been founded, I guess, through my own personal quiet time with the Lord. And so he's been speaking to me into this topic as much as it's to anyone else. It's been for me as well. We originally this week had another topic planned, and we were kind of finished our series last week. We had a standalone message, but um, I really felt the Lord leading me to a place where I've got one more message of life between chaos, and I really want to go there today, if that's cool with you guys. Think of it like a bonus episode almost. This is your first week of the series, then it really has been awesome. And you can check it all out online. All, all our podcasts are up there, YouTube, the whole lot. But check it out. It's been really cool to see where God has been steering this series and leading us to. And I guess the concept has been that in this day and age, we are in a faster-paced world than ever before. We really are. Who would agree with that? We are in a way faster-paced world than we have ever, ever had before. Tech advancements have really moved us from one place to the next. And it's got to a point where it's so chaotic that... The chaos seems to be getting bigger, and the gaps between moments of chaos in our own world seem to be getting smaller and smaller. We've used a few examples over the past few weeks of, um, of, I guess, kind of what life was like when it was a bit more simple, a little bit simpler. Like remembering a world before mobile phones, for example, and the challenge of trying to be contactable every second of every day. Who remembers that? You know, 20-odd years ago, you weren't contactable every minute of every day. Here's one for my 30-something-year-old peeps, right? You, kids, you, if your kids are in the room, you guys are going to have no idea what this is, but give it to a Michael. Give him this meme. Check this out, right? I saw this last week. This is the... Uh, it's a Discman. Check this out. They really put a Discman with anti-skip system in a museum already. Legit. I don't think I've ever felt older in my life, and I can 100% relate to that. Can anyone else, does anyone remember having a Discman? I saw this meme right after I preached last week, and I was like, oh, that would have been perfect. And then God gave me another week, so I went, awesome. But kids, this is something that played music, believe it or not. This was, this was a musical device. Parents who had one of these, who had a Discman. Yeah, see, kids, I'm not making this up. It was a real thing. This was, this was one of the first models to come out with anti-skip in it. And before this, you would walk around right from the bus or wherever you were going, and you'd be trying to hold it as carefully as you could so the song didn't skip, right? Who remembers that? 
I remember doing that. I had a Red Dot Discman. And I'm not talking about some brand. I'm talking about the Red Dot Shop. I had a Discman from Red Dot when I was a kid. I loved that thing. Um, I remember I had like an anti-skip pad that I strapped to it and it like kept it more stable. Does anyone remember those? I remember taking it to band camp in about 2005. I had my Discman and I was rocking my Hanson album this time around. I remember that. <laughs> it was the best. Tim's like Hanson, really. <laughs> I could see you laughing, Timmy. So good. And I love that. And I took it all the way to Darwin and back on Bandcamp. But this one here, this, this plays MP3s, so it can't even be that old, really. That's, that's pretty advanced. That's right. It, it plays MP3s. Who remembers when we could only have 12 songs on a CD? Yeah? On a disc? And kids, we used to carry, we used to carry a case of CDs, right? Hang on. Hang on. CD. Um, right. Okay. So a CD, a CD is like a disc. It's like a DVD or a Blu-ray, kids. And this is, uh, we used to have a, a folder of them, and this used to be all of our albums and songs that we used to listen to. We didn't have access to Spotify or Apple Music, and it was far less chaotic because there was less choice. Does anyone else agree with that? You bought your two albums, and that was what you had. That was your choice, and you listened to it over and over. So check this out. Here's a couple of other things that are in museums at the moment. This one is interesting. Anyone remember the Razor? 2004. It's in a museum. That's crazy. Who, who had one of these? I didn't have a razor exactly. I had a, a different model, but it was very similar. It was like the non-flip version of this. I remember them coming out because they had, they had real tones on them, on the razors. Remember that? Real tones came out for the first time. It was the first time that music went from the beeping sound to an actual song as your ringtone, real tones. And then Nintendo 64. Still got one of these. Man. This is in a museum, that's some scary stuff. And remember, you'd have to like blow into the cartridge to try and get the game to work. <laughs> and if you were really advanced, you had like a rumble pack, which meant you'd plug it into the control and the control would vibrate with the game. Really advanced. How different was life 20 years ago, man, before we were so connected to each other every second of the day from the device in our pocket on so many multiple platforms at once. We're talking before the days of MySpace, you know? So our goal through this series hasn't necessarily been to find God in the chaos, although that's important too, but we've been focusing on finding God in small moments of gaps between moments of chaos, no matter how small they are. So in week one, we spoke about how things are so chaotic in this time period right now. Everything in this day and age is available so instantly that it's significantly altered our own expectations of what's normal and what isn't. Everything feels so chaotic because it's so instant, and if it's so instant, then it's expected to be instant if it's not. In week two, we explored a moment of gap between moments of chaos through the filter of the biblical character, Paul. And we saw an example of how God intentionally created a gap in his life so that Paul could actually see God, which immediately changed the way that he lived his life permanently. This is so significant because this was a life-changing moment for Paul. Paul was set on killing Christians up until this point. That was his life goal, and this moment really backflipped him. He really flipped the other way into actually leading Christians and helping them to grow and helping people to join. We learned that we've all got these kind of filters in our lives that we apply to the world around us. It might be our history, it might be our past, it might be some kind of thing that's created a perception of the way we see the world around us. And we talked about what a difference it would make if these filters were replaced with God-given filters, stuff like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of the, the, the fruit of the Spirit. In the last week, week three, we explored how Jesus himself used these gaps in between chaos to prepare for his mission on earth. We learned how he used the gap to prepare for things like a major task, 
to recharge after hard work, to get through grief before making an important decision in times of distress, and to focus on prayer. Now today, I want to circle back. I want to go back actually to the life of Paul, because as I said two weeks ago at the time when we spoke on Paul, there is so much to learn from his life. There is so much to learn from Paul's life. We could easily do a a, a 10-week series on Paul. There is so much there. And I didn't really get to finish where I wanted to go with week two. So today we're going to fast forward to the opposite end of Paul's life. We talked about the beginning, but we're going to fast forward to the opposite end of his life. Because in week two, we only saw this small slither at the start of his life. And there's so much more that we can learn from his journey. So I want to unpack some of Paul's wisdom at the end of his walk. And that's where we find Paul in today's scripture. We're going to bookend the other end of Paul's life. So two weeks ago, we looked at the filter of Paul. We saw that it was a life-changing, redirecting moment of pausation that God forced on him in this moment of chaos. And until this point, Paul had really been living life based on the law, the Old Testament, which is the first half of the Bible. His life purpose was to kill Christians who were not obeying the law. He believed that that was the law and they had to agree to it. They had to do that. And if they were straying away from that, then he wasn't a very happy guy at all. But he didn't actually believe that this Jesus dude who had arrived was the way. He didn't believe that Jesus was the new law. And God had interrupted his chaos by blinding him with this crazy bright light and then arranged a series of of, of orchestrated moments to prove that he was real indeed. Now Paul, known as Saul at this point, was blind for three days. And then when he was able to see again immediately, he was baptised and he began preaching the word straight away. Straight away, he began preaching about what God had done in his world. And this really was the start of Paul's walk in his journey. And some of us, that's, that's a, a familiar moment for us too. You know, For some of us, truly encountering God was similar. We discovered suddenly that we actually had our life all wrong and that we'd been living life the wrong way. And God kind of woke us up and we began to live in a two-way relationship with our Creator. Or maybe you're still on that journey, and that's totally cool if you are. That's fine. I'm going to give you a chance at the end of this message to to kind of surrender your heart to Jesus and just to decide that, you know what, I want to begin a walk with him. I want to begin a relationship with him. So we're going to go to our locating scripture this morning. It's Philippians 4.10, but I'm going to, uh, sorry, 4.11, but I'm going to start with 4.10 because I want to give you some context. So Philippians is, it's actually a letter that Paul wrote. Um, to a church in Philippi, which was the Philippian church. He wrote seven main letters through his time that we know of, that were definitely Paul, over to churches and all sorts of different people. But then he also wrote probably another six that a lot of scholars kind of think could be him, but they're not entirely sure. But this, this particular letter was thought to have been the last of them. This was near the end of his life, and it's not long after this he was believed to have been executed. So the context on this letter is that the church he was writing to was in Philippi, It was the first church community that Paul helped to start. So you can read about that back in Acts 6. But this is his writing back to them. Um, This was a Roman community, and it was in ancient Macedonia, and it was full of kind of retired soldiers, and it was known for its patriotic nationalism. So when he first formed this church, he faced a lot of resistance as well. They were not keen on Jesus. When Paul announced that Jesus was the true king of the world, they kind of went, nah, We don't believe that. So he was met with a lot of resistance in that community. And even after he left the community, the people that became believers there had a lot of work ahead of them as well because the people in the community were so angry with them about this different king. 
So Paul later now, sometime later, is writing back to this, this community, this church community. And he says in verse 10, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Verse 11, not that I was ever in need, and this is where it gets cool, for I have learnt how to be content with whatever I have. I have learnt how to be content with whatever I have. Verse 12, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is on a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, this is amazing to me. This little, this little bite of scripture is so profound to me. It's amazing. Paul refers to himself in his, in his own experience over five times in three verses, but does it without showing any pride at all. It's amazing. I think the big thing here is that Paul had experienced the very best and the very worst of life. He lived such a diverse life filled with super high highs and super low lows. He experienced life at the top and he experienced life at the bottom. So today we're going to journey through this topic of being content in the chaos. Being content in the chaos. So in the previous weeks we've been talking through this gap, this amazing gap. But this week I want to focus more on the chaos side of it. How do we be content in the chaos? And Paul seems to have gone from a person like you or I early on in his life who was moving from one chaotic moment to the next, but then somehow transitions through his life to get to this point of being content in life. And I'm not talking about the gap, I'm talking about in the midst of the chaos, he was content. I don't know about you, but I want to be more content in the chaotic situations I'm in in my life. First, I think we've got to get a better picture of Paul. So let's just jump through a few dot points and have a look at the life of Paul. So Paul trained as a Pharisee. So a Pharisee is basically a member of the Jewish sect. So they observed the law very closely. That's what he was great at. And they were almost like the Old Testament law police in a way. So he was, these kind of people were really known for being very self-righteous and very hypocritical. He was also known as Saul in his early days. If you see that in the Bible, it's the same dude in that story. Same dude, not King Saul, but Saul, Paul, same guy. God kind of changed his name later. But Saul studied under one of the most respected teaching lineages in the Second Temple period. So he was extremely well-educated as well. This guy had a really good understanding of history, of the prophets, and especially the law as well. So he seemed to know everything there was about Christianity on a factual level, but this is so different to knowing Jesus on a relational level. That's where it all changed for him. And Paul's, Paul's early job seemed to be as a tent maker. He was a tent maker. By trade, It says in Acts 18 that Paul met up with other people who were also tent makers by trade. And I, I was kind of wondering whether this is metaphorical. I was like, it was it just because he's traveling around and he's putting up his tent wherever he goes? Or is it actually, was he actually a tent maker by trade? But it said tent maker by trade. So I was like, wow, I hadn't seen that before. At the age of 30, God met Saul on, the, on his way to Damascus. And this was that big moment where everything changed. He was blinded for three days, and we studied this in week two. So if you missed it, again, check it out, watch it back. And this moment of revelation really caused Paul to know that Jesus is actually the Messiah. Jesus spoke to him in the moment and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And God was so clear there that Paul got baptized and immediately started preaching about Jesus on day three. Then he went on to Arabia, Damascus, and Jerusalem to meet with Peter and James, and then to Syria and Sicilia. 
And 14 years actually passed of him doing this. 14 years of him traveling around. As he went back to, and then he went back to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus to meet with the other pillars of the Jerusalem church. And this was James and Cephas and John. And it was in this meeting that Paul was actually commissioned to become an apostle. He became one of the apostles. Paul then continued to travel and minister all over the Mediterranean. He started churches all over the place. And eventually he was arrested in Jerusalem for having an anti-law agenda which was based on his letters, was completely untrue. He agreed with the goodness of the law for the Jews, but he didn't necessarily agree with it for everyone. And Paul then spent two years in jail before appealing to Caesar, and his whole group of people were then shipped out to Rome, and they were headed there for a trial. They were going to court for a trial. So after being shipwrecked, he eventually made it to Rome, and then he lived in house arrest for two years while he waited for his trial. Then eventually he was executed for his preaching about Jesus at around the age of 60. Wow, that's crazy. Paul went through what it felt like a lot. There were some serious highs and some serious lows there, from encountering God to planting churches to suddenly being in jail to shipwrecks to house arrest. But yet it says he learned how to be content within all of that. That's amazing. So let's unpack these five practical things that I think that we can learn from Paul's world. And I think we can get so much from these. And the first one is that contentment is found in resting upon the person and the work of Jesus. Contentment is found in resting upon the person and the work of Jesus. When you realize the reality of what Jesus actually did for you and I, it changes your perspective on everything. And the reality for us, is that this is completely independent to you or I. What Jesus did is actually separate from us entirely. This is something we have no control over. Jesus died for us 2,000 years ago. He paid the price for our sins and for all the sin of mankind. In a moment, it was done. It was done long before you and I were even born. We can't say now, oh, no, Jesus, don't worry about that. Don't, Don't go and do that. It has happened. It is done. It is done. And if we turn back a chapter in Philippians 3, this is actually what Paul said. Paul had just spoken about how he used to follow the law religiously. And he goes on to say this, verse 7, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. And become one with him. I no longer counter my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. That's our faith, you and I. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. And this is where it gets crazy. Paul then says, I want to suffer with him. Sharing in his death. That's the pain that Jesus endured. I want to be a part of that. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Isn't it amazing how much more content we could be just knowing that fact alone? When we put it into perspective, it changes everything, and it changes nothing all at the same time, doesn't it? Nothing because I can't do anything to make Jesus die for me any more than he already did. I can't do anything about that. It's already happened. 
but it changes everything. It changes everything because my perspective moves in my moment of chaos to my moment of eternity. It takes my eyes off what's happening here and now and puts my eyes on then. All of the worldly things I'm worrying about right now are microscopic when compared with what Jesus did and the fact that I'll be with him one day. And I love Paul's perspective on wanting to suffer with Jesus too because it's actually a privilege to do so. And in the new life, we won't be able to suffer for Jesus. So to be able to give that to him as a sacrifice is amazing. And I think that's what Paul is doing in that moment. We're so blessed to be able to offer our suffering to him now. We can rest in the fact that God supplies all that we need, just like Jesus said in Matthew 7. And we looked at this passage last week, but this is what it says in verse 7. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Everyone. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him. Wow. God's got your back and he will provide as long as you have faith in him. He keeps proving it to me time and time again. I, I have just time and time again. Once we remember who Jesus is and what he did for us, we're suddenly able to rest and be more content in our chaos. The second thing is contentment comes with a rightly ordered life. When we come into alignment with God's intention for our life, we become more content. Because more often than not, God has already given us everything that we need. That doesn't mean it will be easy. Definitely not. Doesn't mean it will be, won't be stressful. Doesn't mean it's not chaotic. In fact, it's usually the opposite. At least I've found that in my world. The first thing that I believe is that God actually uses these moments of chaos in our worlds to stretch us and grow us. That's what he's doing. There's a reason for the chaos. You might be sitting there going, God, take away the chaos. God, take away the chaos. Not realizing it's actually come from him. The moment of chaos could actually be from him to grow you and stretch you. There's so many times in my world where I've been like, Lord, this is the work of the devil. Take it out of my world. I'm praying against it. And then God's like, no, this is, this is from me. This is a gift to you so you can grow. And I go, oh, wow. Okay. Jesus said this in Matthew 6. He said, Seek the kingdom above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. What's the premise and promise? It's seek the kingdom above all else and live righteously and then he will give you everything you need. And I think Paul modelled exactly this so well because even while he was in prison, no doubt being beaten, no doubt being starved, treated absolutely terribly, he was still doing the Lord's work while he was in prison. And Jesus explains that that's such a big part of what leads to contentment. Paul was able to still celebrate despite all of this. He was still advancing the kingdom and sharing the story of Jesus. Now, back at the start of his letter to the Philippians, Paul said in Philippians 1, he said, this is verse 12. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. 
And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Isn't that incredible? Paul is in chains. He's in prison, but he's still preaching the good news to all of these people around him. Paul has not stopped spreading the good news even though he's there. In fact, I tend to wonder if he wasn't in prison, would we actually have all of these letters that he was writing to people outside prison? Or would they not be documented? Because would he have just gone there and just spoken with them directly? Man, I wonder if he realized at the time when he was in prison, what a difference that would make to our worlds today to have those documents. I don't think he would have had any idea. I think at that point, he would have just been trying to communicate. But to be content in the chaos, we've got to remember who Jesus is and we've got to come with a rightly ordered life. We've got to put God first in that. Number three, contentment is learned. Contentment's actually learned. True contentment is not something that happens because we reach a goal in our life. That's not what makes us content despite what the world says. The world is kind of all like, you know, all the marketing in the world is all like, buy this thing and you'll be happy. Buy this one thing and you'll be content. Buy the new car, buy the new phone, buy the new computer. This will change your life. This is going to make you content. Getting married, getting a promotion, having a child, buying a car, all of these things the world says will make you truly content. But generally, even if it does for a time, it's only temporary. If we come back to our locating scripture in Philippians 4, we'll see this, that Paul actually says, he says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned. He said, I have learned. So straight away we see this is something that can be learned. The secret to living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And there's also another hint that Paul gives us here in his letter to Timothy. Now, Timothy was one of his co-workers. Um, Paul recruited him to help in his ministry earlier on. And this was a letter to Timothy. And in this, Paul was kind of in the context of false teachings. And this is what he says. He said that contentment and godliness go hand in hand. Contentment and godliness go hand in hand. In verse 6, this is what it says, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great worth. It's when these two are paired together that there's really power and contentment. I've got to make sure that, number one, we're remembering who Jesus is, come at it with the right ordered life, and that contentment is learned. It's not something we get automatically without the hard work. It's earned. It's learnt. Number four, contentment comes with experience and practice. Contentment comes with experience and practice. And Paul said in Philippians 4 again, he said, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then, then the God of peace will be with you. Peace brings contentment. Contentment is a lot like a muscle, isn't it? The more that you use it, the more you flex it, the more you work on it, the more you'll get fit in that space. This means we've got to consciously fill our mind and fill our lives with an attitude of gratefulness. Gratefulness with what God has given us and what he's trusting us with, despite the fact that sometimes it feels like it might be from the devil. Sometimes it feels like it's from the enemy, but we have to go, no, God is in this. Because really it could be here to help us learn and grow and become more content. And for some of us, this is a real barrier. We keep praying hard about situations and going, man, it's been sent from the enemy. But we don't realize that it's actually coming 
from God that it's actually a situation that he's put you in that you can use to grow. Or on the other hand, it could be a situation that the enemy did send you away. But guess what? God can still use it for good. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes everything, everything good and bad, everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now that doesn't, again, make it easy, but especially at the time. But this shows how we get experience and we get practice. If we go back again to Paul's letter to Timothy, we can see we read verse 6 before, but verse 7, so verse 6 says, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. And verse 7 then says, After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, so we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Paul has practiced contentment just to the point of having just the bare essentials. And discontentment comes when we forget God's greatest provision, which was the salvation of Jesus. He secured, secured it for us by the death on the cross. We let other things get in the way of this because, I don't know, we just do, don't we? We let it get in the way between us and what Jesus did for us. And as we move these distractions out of the gap, then we can slowly regain our focus. The more we live from a place of gratitude for Christ and his work, the more we will grow in our experience of being content. Can I ask the band to come back up? That would be awesome. Number five, contentment comes when we look forward to the new creation. Contentment comes when we look forward to the new creation. And Paul's true contentment comes from knowing deep down he knows. Deep down he knows for sure. He knows that he knows that he knows that his future and his eternity is secure in Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, Matthew 6, 19, Don't store up treasures here on earth where the moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. He said, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And Paul knew that it, it didn't matter what he had on earth because our time on life is a, is, you know, a hundred year little dot on the calendar, really, isn't it? Compared to eternity. When you compare a hundred years to eternity, that's a pretty big difference, right? Forever, eternity. And he knew that it mattered so much more to store up his wealth in heaven because that's where his heart will be too, as the scripture says. So the question then is, what treasures can we store up in heaven? I think the most precious one for me is souls. The most precious thing that we can store in heaven is souls because the souls of our friends and the people that we want to be in heaven with, man, that's more valuable than anything else. I can't store my guitar in heaven, but I can take my friend there. I can take my friend there who doesn't know Jesus yet. And that's more important than anything else. So my question for you is, who in the world, if you were to close your eyes and think, who would you take to heaven with you that doesn't know Jesus yet? Who's that one person that you would go, you know what, I don't want to be in eternity forever without them there. Who's that one person that you're like, I don't want to go there without you. I want to be with you there forever. 
Paul says in Philippians 3.20, and we did a series about this years ago. It was actually probably, I think, might have even been my first message ever as part of a series. Was The series was called Alien Versus Citizen. And this is how the passage goes. It says in Philippians 3.20, Paul said, But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our saviour. This isn't our final destination here. We're citizens of heaven where Jesus lives. But here's the deal. When his Uber shows up, there's not going to be a lot of room to take stuff with us. We can't pack it full of things. It's just us that's going. Pastor John a few weeks ago preached that we even get a new body. And the next verse actually says that. It says, we will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. Using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Would you stand to your feet this morning, church? So what about you? What about you this morning? What are the, which of these five things are you going to focus on this week? Will it be resting in and upon the work of Jesus, reading about what he did for you on the cross, and spending some time delving deeper into that profound moment? Will it be reordering and restructuring your life to truly put him first, to make a gap and put mechanisms in place to make sure that you're finding him in between the moments of chaos? Is it learning contentment? Maybe God's taking you through a storm right now. Maybe your world feels so turbulent and discontent right now, but you didn't consider the fact that maybe it's actually from God. Maybe this is the exact thing he needs to grow you for something else that's coming up for something he's saving up for you? Are you consciously practicing, choosing to be content in the moment when you find yourself chasing the next big thing in your world? Are you practicing coming back to the revelation that says, I have all I need in Christ alone? Or is it that contentment comes when we look forward to what's ahead, the new creation? Is that your next thing? I don't know what it is for you. But could you imagine as we move from one moment of chaos to the next, if we were able to be so much more content in the chaos, wouldn't it actually de-intensify the level of the chaos? If we had a content heart, because really chaos is a feeling, isn't it? So often it's not actually the situation that is actually that chaotic. It's actually what's going on in our head that makes it so Imagine if our minds were more at rest. Would it actually de-intensify the chaos? I wonder if the chaos would still feel so chaotic. But the thing is this morning, if you haven't actually started your walk with Him yet, then you're someone that I want to see come to heaven with us. You are one of those people that I want to have there with us. And to do that, it's, it's, not, it's not such a hard thing to do. It's, it's a prayer. That's all we're going to do this morning. Maybe that's your first step today. Maybe you're someone who you've never met him before. And you've just decided, you've been feeling over, maybe it's over some time, maybe it's just today. Hearing God speak to you and say, I want a relationship with you. 
I want to be there with you. I want you to be there in heaven with me. If that's you, in a moment we're going to say a prayer together. And this prayer is not magic by any stretch. It's just a prayer that just declares that, you know what? I want this in my life. I want a relationship with you. I want a relationship with the King of Kings, my Creator. And the best part about that is is that it's a relationship. It's two-way. Relationship is a two-way thing. So if you're someone who's never known Jesus, maybe you're someone who you knew Jesus at one point and then you went away from Him. Maybe you went to church as a kid. Um, Maybe you fell away from church somehow. Then I want to pray for you this morning as well. And the third type of person I want to pray for is someone who maybe you didn't know you were going to heaven. Maybe you've been coming to church all your life. Maybe you've always known God. You've always always been in there in, in connection and community with Him, but you didn't know that you're going to heaven. And I want to pray for you this morning as well and give you the assurance that you are going to heaven. So now with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're someone who wants to make that decision today, would you just raise your hand in the air? If you're someone who's decided, you know what, this morning I want to make this decision. I want to follow Jesus. I want Him in my world and I want to be in His world. I want to be content. If that's you, would you just shoot your hand up in the air? If you're online, you can do it too. All you need to do is just pop it in the comments. And then we'll pray for you. That's awesome. Just going to wait a few more seconds. If anyone wants to make this decision today, this is such an incredible decision. It's life-changing. Just like Paul. say the prayer this morning for anyone who hasn't said it before. We're going to say it together and it goes like this. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Saviour of the world. I believe He died and rose again to forgive my sin and give me life. I receive Your grace by faith. Come into my life. Make me new. I'll follow You. That's awesome. Can we have a huge round of applause for anyone that may have just prayed that for the first time? That's awesome. If you did, that is such an incredible decision. And if you did pray that for the first time, then we really want to connect with you. We have some resources. We have some Bibles. We have things that are going to help spur you on in your journey. We really want to be there and help you with it. And also, if you did pray that for the first time, consider joining Alpha. Awesome. So good. I really needed that today, Brad. (laughs) The chaos of life. Thank you. And um, just to follow that, guys, if you you prayed that prayer for the first time, like um, Brad said, um, reach out to somebody that you trust or that you've seen around, a smiling face, um, someone, you know what, um, at the kitchen, Libby once asked, can we sell you... um, Salvation, thanks, Leila. <laughs> Salvation today, but look, I am. Um, yeah, I really want to encourage you to just let somebody know because it's a big step, and um, I'm always an oversharer. But I think just sharing makes it makes it real and makes it, um, and that person can chat you through it. So, hey, thank you so much for watching. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing from our channel. 
and share with a friend because you never know who you're going to bless. You can also catch us live every Sunday morning at 9.30am Australian Western Standard Time. We'd love to see you there.